0: Welcome to the Tuesday Night Bible Study. Thank you for being here uh, on Zoom and in person and on the recordings as well. We are in the book of Revelation, and I think I announced earlier to the people that are here, I think we're going to finish in the next three weeks. If we don't, it'll be my fault, and I accept that. In any case, we're in Revelation 20. Where are we time-wise? The seven-year tribulation has passed. At the end of it, chapter 19, Jesus Christ has returned bodily, physically. It's an amazing chapter. Don't read it now, but read it later. Chapter 19, we are now in the very beginning of the millennium. And millennium is the thousand-year period where Jesus fulfills all those promises in the Old Testament about him, the Messiah, son of David, reigning on the throne of his father in on the planet earth. So the earth has been changed greatly. People live a long time during these thousand years. Satan has been bound uh, early in the millennium. And that was verse two of chapter 20. He's been bound and uh, bound for a thousand years so that Jesus can reign on planet earth. Uh, Every demon is with him there in the abyss abuso in greek it is it's the same place where the antichrist came out of it says and so jesus is reigning in a perfect world uh, on planet earth christians are reigning with him this is not the eternal state that's chapter 21 and 22. um what most people think of when you think of a christian and harold was a christian and he passed away and we believe that Harold, because he was a believer, is going to go to heaven, which is true. His body stays in the grave. Spirit and soul go to be with the Lord. There's a separation of the spirit, the soul, and the body at death. But Jesus returns. That's not his eternal state or any believer that you've known that has passed away. We will reign with Christ on the earth, and then eventually heaven, the perfect world, will be, it's surprising to a lot of people, not in the heavens, it will be on earth in a newly created perfect world. We're going to see that tonight if the teacher will just shut up and start teaching. In any case, so I know that you're awake. Say amen. amen. Very good. And those of you on Zoom, wave or say amen, or Glenn's holding up his amen sign. Beautiful. And so are the Vanuatu Christians. Beautiful. All right. So chapter 20, Satan is bound. As I said, he's bound for a thousand years. At the end, he's going to be let loose briefly. And there's going to be some really dumb people that go with him and rebel with him. We were talking about that earlier. Um, Let's see. Satan is released. uh, uh, Let's see. Let's pick it up in verse uh, 7. When the thousand years are ended... Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth. We talked about this last week, Gog and Magog to gather them from battle for battle. This is a revolution against Jesus. Who's been reigning in an absolutely perfect world. And there are unbelievers either that made it through the tribulation who lived in the millennium or their ancestors, their, uh, children, grandchildren, great, great, great grandchildren. Uh, They wouldn't be believers because we're sealed with the Holy Spirit um, and we've been glorified. They marched across the breadth of the earth, verse 9, and surrounded the camp of God's people, which would be around Jerusalem, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them, just like the battle of Armageddon. There's no real battle. It's over in an instant. Um, Very briefly, I want to take, I I know it's early to do this. I want to take a detour um, and show you that this whole idea the uh, Battle of Armageddon in which all the armies of the earth come against believers and Jesus as he's returning, and this battle, both of them, the insanity of sin that would rebel against a God who can snuff them out in a second. Keep your finger in Revelation. Go to Psalm 2 with me just for a second. on a whole different subject about why the while you're turning there. Psalm 2, roughly the middle of your Bible. If you're in Isaiah, take a left. Um, this is an interesting psalm because it predicts the revolution against God and Jesus Christ by the kings of the earth, by the nations, by the people. The other weird thing that's fun to do is read Psalm 2 and ask yourself, who is speaking? Because it turns out it's the Holy Spirit in some verses, it's the Father, and then it's the Son, and then it's the Holy Spirit again. It keeps changing. It's the triune God speaking. Let's read it real quickly. Psalm 2, verse 1. Why do the nations conspire, and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together... Notice... Not against some other country, against the Lord and against his anointed. That's Jesus and the believers, saying, verse three, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, So that was the Holy Spirit, by the way, speaking. Here comes the Father. Father, I have installed my king. On Zion, my holy mountain, Zion's another name for Jerusalem. That's the father talking about the fact that he's installed his king, which is who, class? Jesus Christ, his son. Father, first person of the Trinity, talking about the second person. Now, verse 7. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, who's talking, class? Christ. You are my son. Today I have become your Father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Now the Holy Spirit speaks. Verse 10. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule, thousand years, ruling on the earth, millennium, with trembling, Verse 12 is so interesting. Keep in mind, this is in Psalms. This is the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. I want to talk to a rabbi and say, who's he talking about here? Verse 12, kiss the son, S-O-N, or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Kiss the son, the son of God. Jesus Christ. There it is, Psalm 2. Just wanted to throw that in at no extra charge. All right, let's keep rolling. Back to Revelation 20, um, verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. That's the lake of fire. That's the second death, they call it, but it's not really a death. It is eternal punishment. It is, in other words, hell. I want you to notice the devil is thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. He had been incarcerated for a thousand years. He's allowed to come back to show the world that he's still evil, not repentant, and that people will still rebel against him, uh, against Jesus, even having lived in a perfect world where he governed beautifully. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. The next word, you see it? They. They. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's true for unbelievers we're about to read. But why am I making a big deal out of the word they? Well, the devil's thrown into the lake of fire. He, According to that verse, he'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's his eternal state. I want you to notice a thousand years before this, at the beginning of chapter 20, the false prophet and the Antichrist were thrown into the lake of fire. Those are human beings, remember, from the tribulation. It's been a thousand years, and they're still there. They they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. In the Greek, it's from the ages to the ages, something like that. I have it in my notes somewhere. Um, In any case, let's keep reading chapter 20, verse 11. That's where we left off. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. This is the uncreation of the universe, not just earth, everything. So, this is what's known as the Great White Throne Judgment, where books are going to be open, and everyone that's there, unbelievers only, not you, they're going to be judged by, uh, by God and Christ according to two different things. One, thing number one, everything they ever said or did or even thought that was against God's will. Got the picture? God keeps books. He's a really good bookkeeper. We're going to find out. Metaphorically, because he knows everything, right? Unbelievers aren't going to witness. They're not going to be involved in this judgment. The reason is not because they're such great people. The reason is we are just as much sinners as they are. The reason is because somebody already paid for our sins. The punishment we deserved, he took. You know who it is, the Lord Jesus on the cross. A great white throne and him who was seated on it. This next part of this verse just blows my mind. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence. There was no place for them. The, the Jews believed in three different heavens. This is not the Mormon doctrine of three heavens. The Jews called the atmosphere around the earth, the air where planes and birds fly, the first heaven. Got the picture? Second heaven, outer space, as far as you can take it. All the planets, the galaxies, all of that. Asteroids, Second heaven, third heaven, not a physical place, a spiritual place. Think of it as another dimension, the place where the spirits dwell, including not only God and the angels but demons. Remember we talked about Satan in this study several times who can who could visit the throne of God and accuse Jeff and Doreen of things, and G- God would say, "Get lost, they're my son's kids, and he paid for their sins he the great advocate. So this is a judgment of unbelievers. But the earth and the heavens fled from his presence. There's no place for them. It's not that the earth and all the planets and the universes went somewhere else. They're just burned out of existence completely. So that there's a throne. It sort of sounds like hanging in space and a bunch of people, maybe as many as 50, 60, billion, 80, billion, we'll talk about numbers in a second, that are there to be judged. They're not on earth. They're not in heaven. They're just, there's nowhere to hide. They're with God. Can you comprehend that? No? Welcome to the club. Neither can I. Um, This is the second uh, resurrection that's going to come up in a second. Um, Let's see. I've got so many notes on this. So, um, uh, I'm going to wait on that. But Jesus Christ is sitting on the throne with God the Father. We see this all through the New Testament. They both judge unbelievers. Um, The point of all this is that the throne is great. It's white because it's pure. It's great because there's no higher court. This is not a trial. There's no Johnny Cochran. There's no um rebuttal or defense there can be none because the judge is absolutely all-knowing and totally fair some people say when i see god i'm going to give him a piece of my mind and tell him a thing or two there's no record of anybody saying anything nobody will be at this judgment who's a sinner no one and will be able to say well that wasn't fair because it is because they did do these things Criteria number one, everything they said, thought, or did, that was a sin. But there's a second criteria. I want you to watch for it. I'm not going to tell you now. So uh, this is the final judgment. There's no appeals. Even motives and the thoughts behind the actions are judged. That's a little scary. Um, I want to show you, uh, keep your finger here, 1 Corinthians 3. Go there with me just for a second. So take a left from Revelation, 1 Corinthians, pretty long book. If you get to Romans or Acts, you went too far. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the reason I'm bringing this up is that there is a judgment that occurs on the cross on Jesus Christ where every believer's sins are paid for and judged. You with me so far? There is a judgment of unbelievers we're in the middle of talking about the great white throne judgment. I'm going to show you in 1 Corinthians 3, there's a third judgment, and it's on believers. Yes, you, me, all believers that have ever lived, the faithful Jews who looked forward to the coming of the Messiah, the believing Christians who look back to the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. This is not a trial. There are no punishments, only rewards. Think of it as the difference, the great white throne judgment is like a trial, like a murder trial, where the penalties are going to be meted out. The, the Bema seat judgment that believers go through has nothing to do with punishment that's all been paid for. It has to do with rewards where according to what we did with what God gave us, the time, the talent, the treasure, the opportunities that we had, there may be rewards given for what we've done. But since God knows the motives, there may be somebody who's a Christian, who's going to go to heaven, who. Did great things at the church and painted the whole outside of the building by himself, and even bought the paint. Pretty nice thing to do. But he went around telling everybody, "Don't you like the paint job?" Yeah, I did it myself. I didn't want to be paid. I didn't want to even be reimbursed for the paint brushes or the paint. I just did it because I love God. There's a Greek word for this, baloney. He, he did it for this. That's the kind of work that is wood, hay, or stubble in this passage. I'll show you in a second. Where it was not done for the glory of God, it would have been better for Harold to paint the whole church and tell no one. Right? Nobody even knows. Somebody in the church donated the money, and we don't even know who it is. It was for God's glory. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Okay. First Corinthians, you say, well, where are we going in 1 Corinthians, Joe? Well, first, I have to find it again. Um, I think it's verse 10. It is First Corinthians 3... Pick it up in verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, Paul's talking, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, what you do with your life, how you're building the kingdom of God. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds, any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light it will be revealed with or refined with fire now what happens when you build with precious stones or gold gold is just purified in fire what happens if you build with wood hay or straw or stubble straw it's burned up wood hay or stubble is the guy that painted the church and told everybody I did it gold is the guy that gave money to the church or did the painting, and no one even knows. Just did it for God's glory. Um, if what he built sur- has, what if he, if, verse 14, if what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. Listen, loss of reward, no punishment. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. In other words, barely by the grace of God. This is not earning your salvation, but it is rewards for work done for the kingdom of God with his glory in mind, not yours or mine involved. Wanted you to see that. Um, We could also quickly go to um, chapter four, verses one to five. Uh, Same book, 1 Corinthians. Uh, Paul says in verse three, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court, Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light, listen to this, what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. We can't see that, can we? Why, Why did the person do that? God sees it. Whether good or bad. At that time, each person will receive his praise from God. Okay, go back to Revelation. Um, This whole idea of the earth and the heavens being uncreated because it's about to be recreated was talked about in the Old Testament. I'm going to show you that in a second. But there's no place for the heavens, no place for the earth. They're absolutely gone. Go quickly to 2 Peter. I know we're doing a lot of detours. I want you to see the background. Go to 2 Peter from Revelation. Take a left about six books to the left. Maybe five. 2 Peter. And I hope I'm right. I think it's three. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Pick it up in verse 7. 2 Peter 3 verse 7. By the same word... The present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But don't forget this one thing, dear friends: with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years just like a day. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not anyone, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's a verse about the heavens. being destroyed. Look at verse 10 of 2 Peter 3. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. The idea is the elements of, of, of that word is the things, um, the things that make up other things, like atoms, molecules, down to the molecular level, the whole kit and caboodles going away. He's going to create a whole new heavens and a whole new earth. Go back to Revelation uh, 20, if you will. So there's a great throne. There's nowhere to hide. And I saw the, uh, the dead, verse 12, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged, this is unbelievers, according to what they had done as recorded in the books. That's everything they thought, said, or did that was a sin. Every motive, what have you. Go back to the beginning of that verse. Notice that it's the dead, great, and small. God's no respecter of persons. These are congressmen, kings that lived 1,000 years ago, queens, wealthy people, poor people, middle class, everything Every single unbeliever is being judged. It appears on planet Earth, does it not? People commit crimes, and you say, and he got away with it. Not true. Ultimately, no one gets away with anything. Every single sin is not only known by God, it's judged one of two ways. On the cross, that's the better way, or you don't receive Jesus and his cross You are judged for everything that you said, did, or thought that was a sin. So they're standing before the throne. The the idea of standing before a throne is you stand for judgment, like the verdicts being read. Somebody that's already been convicted because of what they've done. Um, There are no good works these people can claim that outweigh their bad deeds. Part of the reason for that is they actually probably didn't do any good works which would be done for God's glory uh, in an ultimate sense. Uh, the other book that's open, so there's a book, a record of everything that was done. Um, and then there's the book of life. Do you see that there? Um Well, I'm going to save that for verse 15. Don't you read ahead. I saw you reading ahead. All right. Um, We talked about the beam of judgment. Okay. Um, The resurrection that occurred when Christ returned thousand years before this second coming was a resurrection unto life. Believers alive at the time or having already been deceased were given um, glorified bodies that could live forever. This is a resurrection unto judgment and condemnation. Huge, huge difference. Um, one more quick detour. I'll, I'll do it if you don't want to turn there. Go to Daniel chapter 12. This will be really quick. Daniel chapter 12. Old Testament. Toward the end of the Old Testament. Daniel 12. Right on the same page with John in Revelation. Revelation has the same idea in mind. At that time, Michael, verse 1, the great prince who protects your people will arise. There will be a time of distress. That's the word for tribulation, such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, listen, everyone whose name is found written in the book will be delivered. Judgment. Here comes the other judgment that we're reading about in Revelation, verse two. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Some to everlasting life. That happened a thousand years before this one. Others to shame and everlasting contempt. That's the unbelievers. Um, Let's see. Okay, go back to Revelation. Just wanted you to see that quick little detour. Um, The dead, I'm in the middle of verse 12. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded. In the books. Nobody got away with anything. Nobody did a sin in secret. You can fool me and I can fool you. You can't fool God. Verse 13. Well, how complete is this judgment? Verse 13. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. Do you see that? So if somebody drowned in the ocean and they never found his body or he was eaten by a shark or some other calamity... The sea, where they died, the dead are given up from the sea. This is supposed to be all inclusive, meaning there's no place anybody died where they, and a technicality, he got off. There are no technicalities. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. That's the second time that's been said. It sounds like that's the only criteria through which unbelievers are judged, and it's not there's a second criteria, perhaps more important. We'll get to that. This is God reconstructing human bodies. Don't miss it. I don't want to be morbid here, but if someone in my family died 100 years ago, and we open the casket, there's pretty much nothing left right? A bunch of dust, let alone a thousand years ago or 5,000 years ago. There's nothing left. Can God recreate what he created the first time? Molecularly, absolutely. They're resurrected, and they're surprised, and they're not happy. If God could make out of the dust of the earth Adam can he not recreate whether you're you're um, cremated and it's just some ashes or you're buried and you disintegrate or a shark ate you and there's nothing left of you or burned in a fire, God forbid. He can recreate each person and he's doing so here miraculously. Um, okay. Then death, verse 14, and Hades, that's the place of departed spirits where they went awaiting this judgment, were thrown into the lake of fire. Uh, The lake of fire is the second death. Now, that phrase has caused a few Christian scholars, so-called, to say, well, that's annihilationism. They're annihilated. They're judged, and then they just snuffed out. But remember what it said about the antichrist and the false prophet. End of verse 10. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The human spirit is eternal, and you're going to spend eternity, everybody will, some, somewhere. I better silence my phone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Um, so, actually, let me do one more thing. and Let me do that. Yes. Okay. This is not something that we gloat over. We're we're not happy about this. It's a very sad thing. These people cannot claim, look how unfair God is. He's sending me to hell. The answer is they are sending themselves to hell by the most important decision in life that they did not make which is receiving the Lord Jesus Christ, the only other option. Here it comes. Verse 15, I said earlier, it sounds like they're just judged because of what they did, what they said, their sins. That's true. That proves that the judgment is fair. None of them could say, I lived a pretty righteous life. None. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3. Here comes the other criteria through which people are judged. Verse 15, do you see it? anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Translation, that's the other criteria. Is your name in the book of life? Well, wait, well, how do you get your name in the book of life? This goes back to the, the thousands of years ago when cities had city roles or citizenship books in which your name would be, you live in Oakhurst, your name's in the Roles. If you pass away, your name is taken out. Or if you move to St. Louis or Tennessee, your name is taken out of this city's roles. How do you get your name in there? Well, it's just like everything. It's who you know. It's who you know. I don't mean that it's fixed, I mean it's who you know in a good way. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? I know about him, I've studied. Do you know him as Lord and Savior? or just some guru that is very distant to you? Is he your only hope? Not what you do, but him and what he did on the cross. The way these people got their name in that book, and by the way, your name is in there. Uh, Anyone whose name was not in the book of life, the the other things were positive. In, In other words, it's what they did. This is negative, not in the book of life. Some people might on that day, Matthew 7 talks about this. Many will say to me, Jesus says in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many marvelous works in your name? Listen, it's who you know. And what does Jesus say in Matthew 7? And I will say to them, depart from me you workers of iniquity translation you sinners listen i never knew you never we didn't have a relationship that's the other criteria one goes along with the other because when we have a relationship with jesus not only is our name written li- written there we're given the holy spirit a louder conscience a guiding light in our lives. He brings the scriptures to life. What's your point, Joe? Just this, that if you were a thief, a liar, an adulterer, uh, a child molester, a murderer, and a rapist, let's throw in, and you came to Christ, he is going to change you from the inside out. Those sins are covered in the past and he will do in the process of sanctification the cleaning up of your life so that you will sin less and less and less and less and do more and more and more good. Christian growth is what it's called. That's the judgment of unbelievers. Now it's time to go into chapter 21, the really, really good stuff. Are you still awake? Say amen. Okay. Those of you guys... Some of you are on couches. That's dangerous. You could be. In any case, I'm just looking at... uh, So at this point, every single unbeliever, every single demon, Satan, the Antichrist, every single evil thing... Remember, death was the result of sin. Even death itself's been cast into the lake of fire. Well, what's left? God, Jesus, Holy Spirit a bunch of believers who don't even deserve to be there, but they're praising God that they are. This is 21 and 22 of Revelation, is a travel brochure for your future home. Don't read it in the third person like, oh, those people really, wow, this is your future home. Don't miss that. Um, Let's see. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, by the way, talks about the fact that at this point, there's no more death. Uh, We'll get into that. Uh, I'm just reading about that. Hell. Um, The idea of hell comes from the word, uh, the the Valley of Hinnom. It's Gehenna in, uh, in Hebrew. Okay. This was a place outside of Jerusalem, okay, which in centuries before Jesus shows up, the believers in a false god named Molech, sacrificed children in that valley. Okay. As horrible as that is with me so far, burning them in fire. The place ended up becoming the city dump for Jerusalem in which garbage was constantly burning 24 hours a day. It became a picture of hell. Got the picture? We've talked about the the other verses in the Bible that speak about hell. Hell is uh, just off the top of my head. It's eternal fire. It is also outer darkness. I want to go to hell so I can be with my friends and we'll have a party. You won't be with your friends. If you know anybody that went to prison, prison's bad. Solitary confinement's the worst. Hell is solitary confinement. Outside the presence of God and all things holy, for all eternity, because you said, not you, but unbelievers, no, thank you. I don't want Jesus. The more, a deeper, more permanent death, they're alive, but they're in agony. Um, There's no recovery from this. Um, So uh, it's outer darkness. It is fire. It is where their worm does not die, and the fire is never quenched. Chapter 21, now that I bummed you out, is a chapter of new beginnings. And I mean new beginnings. Uh, It's a sharp contrast to the lake of fire. Chapter 21 brings the Bible, listen, full 360, full circle. What do you mean? The Bible starts with God speaking and creating the world and ends. And in that world that he creates, which is perfect, there's no sin, no death, no crying, no mourning, no you couldn't get injured, Adam and Eve, couldn't even get injured, couldn't stub their toes. Perfect world, fellowship with God. Chapter 21 and 22, the eternal state of believers is, listen, better. You say better than that? Yes, because that world, the Garden of Eden, had the element of Satan there to tempt those two people. No such thing will occur now. Why not? The devil's in the lake of fire forever. So are all the demons. So are all the unbelievers. It's just us, folks, and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a contrast of uh, a number of things. In Genesis, the sun is created and night is established. We're going to read in this chapter that in the new heavens and the new earth, in the new Jerusalem, our home that comes out of heaven, There's no sun. No need for the sun or the moon because God's there and his light shines everywhere. Um, The seas were created in Genesis. No more seas. We'll talk about that. There's a curse in Genesis, right? Adam and Eve are cast out of the Garden of Eden. There's no more curse. No possibility of sin. We will be like Jesus, for we will see him as he he is. Translation, you and I won't even have sin nature. We won't want to sin. We won't know what sin is. There will be no one to tempt us. A perfect world. Um, Genesis, man is driven from paradise. Here he's restored to paradise. In Genesis, there's sorrow, pain, death. Here, all those things, all the loose ends are tied up. No more of that ever. Um, There's a verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it's an interesting verse that um, God uh, is said to have set eternity in every man's heart. That deep down, we understand, human beings do, that, yeah, people die, we just don't like to think about it as we are with our friends, she's going to die, he's going to die, they're going to die, the baby's going to die, the dog's going to die. We almost consider it natural, and yet in our hearts we know there's something very unnatural about it. No more death. Um, It's a beautiful world we're about to see. What this chapter and the next one ought to do, if we're paying attention, is make us so much more appreciative of the Lord who made our being there possible. Um, We already talked about that. Verse 1 chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Completely new heaven and earth. Doesn't say how he did it, but if he does it the way he did the first time, he spoke it and it happened. Now, if you love the ocean like I do, I'm a real beach person, have been my whole life, lived on the East Coast till I was almost nine, lived on the West Coast ever since. Uh, My parents always had a place right near the beach or on the beach even. This is a big bummer for me. No longer any sea. There are scholars that think it doesn't mean the ocean, the sea in the Bible is the confused, unbelieving masses. The Antichrist comes up out of the sea of the confused unbelievers. It's possible there is an ocean, but for now, we'll say there isn't. Whatever we miss from the old world is definitely going to be better in heaven. I don't think we can imagine how cool, how unbelievable this is going to be. A new heaven and a new earth, the first heaven and first earth that passed away, no longer any sea. Verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, verse 2, from God, prepared as a bride beautifully adorned or dressed for her husband. Okay, remember 1 Corinthians 2.9, Paul talks about heaven. You know what he says? Yeah, describe it for us, Paul. First of all, in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, he says he went to the third heaven, 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 and said he saw things he's not permitted to talk about. And you're going, please tell us. Well, here he tells us in 1 Corinthians 2.9. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it even entered into the mind of the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Translation, we can't even imagine how cool it's going to be. How awesome. Uh, Let's see. So we already talked about the three heavens. Do you remember John 14? Jesus drops the bomb at the Last Supper and says, I'm going away. I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may be also. This is the place he went to prepare. How good is it? God created the world in six days. It's been 2,000 years since he's been gone. He's been working on this place. Must be awesome. Um, Let's keep reading. I'm just reading notes here. Um, Jesus also said that heaven and earth would pass away, but my word will never pass away. He's right. At this point, the old heaven, the old earth has passed away. Everything you and I treasured in the old earth, the house the car, our our pictures are, it's all burned. Two things that you saw every day were eternal. The people, they're going to live somewhere eternally. And the word of God, everything else burned up. That's why don't invest that much time or heart energy into those things. They're not going to last anyway. It's all going to burn. Jesus, God says in Genesis 1 that the cre- original creation was very good. Do you remember? Until Adam and Eve sinned and messed it up forever. Without that f- fall of Adam and Eve, there would have been no death, no sickness, no pain, no crying, no tears. Let's see. We already talked about that. Let's keep rolling. Holy city the new Jerusalem he sees it coming down out of heaven from God beautifully prepared as a bri- prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband you say wait isn't the church aren't christians the bride of christ yes well how is the city the bride of christ it's the same thing we're going to live in that city it's part of being the bride of christ this is a city we're going to talk about the dimensions of which are staggering it's mind-blowing. Um, by the way, to the Jews, the sea was a very scary place. Jews didn't learn how to swim. They had small boats. There were always storms at sea. People were constantly drowning. Whales, Jonah, the whole thing. It was a scary place. The seas, that were, the world is about 75 to 80% planet Earth, water, right? You know that. Pacific Ocean, Atlantic Ocean, all the other oceans. The oceans have served, listen, as separating devices between the nations. If there's no sea, then there's a connectedness to the planet there never was before. Uh, I know you can fly to London or wherever, or you could take a boat to London. In this era, very, very unusual you would go that long of a trip, that be gone that far of a place. Uh, very, very different world. Now everyone will be united. No more sin. Awesome. Okay. Uh, do we want to go there now? Um, let's take our two-minute break, and then we're going to go to Hebrews for a second. Let's take our two-minute break and stretch our uh, aging bodies and go get a cookie back there. Those of you on Zoom, I'm going to turn my screen off. I'll be back in two minutes. Don't go away. Find your seats back there, if you will, and those of you on Zoom, welcome back. Um, exciting. We're, we're talking about the New Jerusalem, which is the city of God, God's own city that he, Jesus, has prepared for believers. Find your seats, if you will. So, I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 11 and look at verse 10. Hebrews chapter 11 and... Look at verse 10. He's talking about Abraham. Do you remember the father of the Jewish race in Hebrews 11? In verse 10, he says, He was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. That's no earthly city. That's not Jerusalem. That's the new Jerusalem that we're seeing come down from heaven to uh, earth. I want you to notice in verse, was that? Two, yeah, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, your future home, I want you to notice it comes down out of heaven, and it's from God. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't buy a ticket to get there. It's all a gift from God. It wasn't because of our good works. Our good works we did in response to what God gave us, not to earn what God gave us. Somebody asked me during the break, who populates the millennium so that so many people can rebel at the end? Some unbelievers make it through the tribulation. The people that are at the battle of Armageddon are all killed and birds eat their flesh. But around the world, a lot of people die, but there are some unbelievers, most scholars feel, that make it into the millennium. They live under the rule of Christ. We rule and reign with Christ even over them at the end, and people live a long time in the millennium. At the end of the millennium, there's the rebellion that occurs because Satan is allowed out briefly, and there are people that go after, uh, go with him, rebel with him. People live six, eight, nine hundred years during the millennium. If you are a, a woman that's 20 years old, 40 years old, in the, as the millennium starts, and you're having children, you could have a couple hundred kids pretty easily. Ladies, I'm getting dirty looks. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's move on. Um, so there's a population of people that don't believe. There won't be believers that change their mind about Jesus. It will be unbelievers that may have acted like believers or went along with Jesus' uh, government. Now, stay in Hebrews, go to chapter 12, and look at verse 22 through 24. Chapter 12 of Hebrews, that's a few books, five or six to the left from uh maybe 8 from uh, revelation but you have come to mount zion to the heavenly jerusalem the city of the living god you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven you've come to god the judge of all men to the spirits of righteous men made perfect to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So that's the city being talked about by the author of Hebrews. Heaven, the heavenly Jerusalem, comes down, and John watches it descend to planet earth. As I said, the dimensions are staggering. We'll see that uh, in a second. If the city is the bride and the church is the bride, then who's the groom? The Lord Jesus Christ, right? After they've been married, the marriage supper of the lamb occurred in uh, chapter 19 and 20. Now the husband has provided a home for his bride. This is Christian land, if you will. Do You ever wish you could move to Christian land? everybody's a Christian. If you're a locksmith, you're out of business. There's no need for locks, right? If you're a policeman or a fireman or a doctor, there's no need for those jobs here, right? It's a perfect world. Okay. The city's beautiful, but we're about to see the most beautiful thing isn't the city. It's not all the fancy stones and the gold. It's who's there, God face-to-face with human beings. Verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne. I'm in mean, uh, Revelation 21.3. Heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, or behold, I like that word better. God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and be their God. Do you remember what one of the names in Isaiah given for the Messiah? And his name shall be called Emmanuel, which is what? God with us. You say, well, we sort of had God with us several times in human history. Not to this degree. Adam and Eve had it for a little while in the Garden of Eden, right? They walked around the Garden of Eden, talked to God face to face. Then they're kicked out. That didn't last long. Okay, when was the next time? Moses talked with God. Abraham talked with God. Jacob talked with God, right? The Jews had the presence of God with the fiery, uh, the pillar of fire and the pillar of uh, cloud and all of that, right? But there was always a separation. The Jews had the presence of God in the Holy of Holies in the temple, a cube, small cube, 30 feet by 30 feet by 30 feet back there where the Ark of the Covenant was. The presence of God was back there, but you and I can't go there. Because we're sinners. Only the high priest can go there with blood as a sacrifice once a year. Okay, you say, but with that Jesus came and he was on the earth. It was God with us. Not in him, the totality of his being, but he was God with us for a short time. Right? And then he died on the cross and rose from the dead and went to heaven. But then you say, wait, but we've had it ever since. Christians have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. True. I'm not discounting that. That's an awesome thing. But that's not the full-orbed, face-to-face fellowship with God, where you speak and he speaks back. Different, right? This is that man living with his God. There's no reason to be afraid of him. There's no reason to fear him in any way. We can have awe for his power, but it's nothing but a loving relationship between a loving father that finally gets to be with his kids 100% of the time. Um, let's see, we already talked about that. Um, go back to chapter 21. So there's a loud voice from the throne. Could be Jesus, could be God the Father. God's dwelling place is now among the people, he will dwell with them. In John chapter 1, It talks about the word, which is Jesus, and it's either in verse 12 or I think it's 14. It says, the word became flesh, Jesus did, and listen, dwelt among us. The Greek word for that is the same word as tabernacled. It's a dwelling place. Temporary, not here, permanent. God dwelling with his people. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Verse 4 this is an unbelievable benefit. I don't think we can imagine this. Verse four, he, that's God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That old order of things was brought by Adam and Eve and the fact that they sinned. And the day you eat of it, you surely shall die. That's when death started, sickness started, lying started, cheating started. What happens in chapter four shortly after that? The first murder. Cain kills his brother. Remember, Abel. Um, okay, I've got all kinds of note, notes here. Um, m- many places are beautiful on the earth. You've been to some of them, right? We live near one of them, Yosemite. Another one, the Pacific Ocean, the Sierras. There's beautiful places on the earth. Believe me when I say the most beautiful place you've ever seen is going to seem like the city dump compared to how beautiful this city is. Imagine a world with none of those things. What things? Tears. He's going to wipe them all away. I'll come back to that one. I got a weird take on it that I think is true. I'll share with you in a second. But no more death. Keep in mind, it's awesome that you're going to see your departed friends and relatives who are believers. That's cool. But the coolest thing is God being there with us. No more death. No more mourning. No more crying. How about this one for those of you who are my age or older? No more pain. Can I get an amen? Amen. Those of you on zoom, are you amening? Okay. No more pain. The old order of things has passed away. Okay. So the question comes up, why do people cry? Well, there's happy tears. I don't think so. that's what he means here. People cry because the earth is, a, we live in a fallen creation and nothing's for sure. So and so, what? He died suddenly. She died suddenly. And what happened? An accident, a disease. There's so much sadness on planet Earth. Never a tear, nothing sad, nothing wrong, nothing unfulfilling, nothing lacking, nothing to cry about. Absolute joy. Can you imagine this? No, neither can I. We're just used to all the little bummers. The problem with us, may I say, sidebar, is that when there's two or three bummers in your life. You you, and I focus on those to the exclusion of the thousand blessings all around us. Yeah, but what about these three things? What about those 10,000 things, right? If you start thanking God for all those blessings, those bummers get smaller and smaller and more insignificant. Okay. Made you feel guilty. Let's move on. Um, uh, we already talked about that. Death is swallowed up in victory, 1 Corinthians 15 says. Uh, why is there no mourning? M-O-U-R, not mourning the early part of the day. Because Jesus, listen, Isaiah 53, was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Sh- grief, Surely he, our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried. It's all him. If you've ever had somebody bless your socks off, you just feel a sense of love for them and like, boy, I owe this person so much for what they did. That's how you and I are going to feel for the next trillion years in this eternal state. No more tears. Okay, here's the weird take on all this for what it's worth. Um, there are, uh, scriptures that talk about the former things shall not be remembered. You say, what are you talking about? Let's say, and I don't, but let's say I have a sister named Sue, and I love my sister. We've been close my whole life. I don't have a sister, but if I did, I have a brother. Anyway, and Sue is not a believer, and Sue died an unbeliever, an atheist, and now I'm in chapter 21 for real in the new heavens and the new earth and the city so awesome and Jesus is here and God the Father's here and all my friends that also died or were raptured or whatever, we're all here. Sue's not here. It's going to bug me forever. You may say, and some do, yes, but you'll see the fairness of, well, Sue rejected Jesus. Yeah, I know. But maybe I could have done more, there's regret, I could have said more, I should have been a better Christian earlier in my life, and Sue's not here. There are believers, there are scholars that believe that in order for God to wipe away every tear, he's got to wipe away the memory of the past things which the Old Testament says will be remembered no more. Well, that's brainwashing, and maybe it's a good washing, though. I don't know. It's it is certainly a, a theory. Um, uh, so I hesitate to say it because we don't know for sure that's how the whole wiping of the tears goes away. Um, no more mourning. Um, God forbid if your wife or brother or sister or kid isn't there, wouldn't you be kind of thinking about that a lot? Well, you'd be so distracted with Jesus. Yes, but We love our kids, don't we? We love our friends. We love our spouses, whatever, whoever it may be. Um, So uh, let's keep reading. Let's see where we are. Do we have to move? Should we move on from here? Um, No more death, mourning, crying, pain, old order of things passed away. No bummers. We're about to see that you don't have to sleep. Pretty cool. You ever get tired and just like, oh, I need to take a nap, man. I am so tired. No, no not now during Bible study. Uh, there's a scientific thing called entropy, which is things run downhill. Show me a brand new house in 1980 and let's drive by it now. Does it look better or worse? It's worse. Falling apart. Brand new car. 1994 Ford Pinto doesn't look that good now. Everything runs downhill, including you and me. Not so. The new Jerusalem, the first day you're there, it's going to look that new a trillion years from now. No decay, no entropy, no death, no mourning. We can't imagine. No atrophy. Um, By the way, we have a taste of this in 1 Corinthians. Listen, Paul's talking. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, sorry, 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though the outward man is perishing arthritis, pain, headaches, sleeplessness yet the inward man, the spiritual man, is being renewed day by day. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, listen, he's a new. Creation. You say, already? Already. This is the consummation of it in, Genesis, in Revelation 21. But we're already a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Boy, is that true now. Verse 6 of, of 21. Oh, five. Sorry. I, I flunked math. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making or I make. Everything new. Everything. Imagine that. You, me, new. Whole new world. But what will it be like? What will we do? We can't imagine. I like to say that if you went to the dump and found a rotten tomato and cut it open with a knife, why would you do that? Just go with me, okay? In the the rotten tomato, there's a little worm and you get down on your hands and your knees, and you try to explain to the worm, Buckingham Palace is awesome. They've got gold up there. Does he understand? You know what he's thinking? Is it like a big tomato? No, no, no. It's a, it's a castle. It's incredible. It's a palace. Is there decaying food that we could eat? The worm has no concept of a palace We worms have no concept on this earth of what we're reading here. How good will it be? Way better than you think. Way better. Let's keep rolling. I'm making everything new. Then he said, because John is so blown away, he kind of forgets to write. And so God says, John, wake up. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Translation for you and me, you can count on this. This is a travel brochure of your future home. Verse six, I love verse six. He said to me, It is done. Does that remind you of anything? Jesus on the cross, to tell us, Die, it is done. I paid for their sins. Now it's really done. Now we see the results of that death on the cross for you and me. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Okay, first of all, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. You go to the Old Testament, Isaiah, it comes up again and again and again. Guess who that is? God the Father. No question, Old Testament, it's God the Father. So Who is this exactly? Well, I'm going to show you that it's Jesus Christ. Taking the name that's only for God and who won't share his glory with another? Yes, because he is God. I am the Alpha and the Omega. What does that mean? Well, those are the first and last letters uh, of the alphabet. It's a, a way the rabbis used for describing the totality of everything. Time, space, matter, everything. I'm the beginning and the end. Isaiah 44, 6, I am the first, I am the last. Beside me, there is no God. So Jesus is the eternal God. You will see that in chapter 22, and also it's in chapter 1, but we won't go there now because we're trying to get through these verses. Uh, We already talked about that. So this verse explains another aspect of who's going to be in heaven. Did you see it? Verse 6. First of all, it is done. Don't you love that? It's all done. He's writing this 2,000 years ago. It's a done deal. You may see events in human history and go, oh boy, look at that. China, Iran, this, Russia. That. This is a done deal. Nothing can stop it if God said it's going to happen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I, I'm the totality of everything. That's why I can say it's going to be done. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Who gets the water? The thirsty. Now, this is beautiful because there are other things we all do as humans. For example, eat. Eating more complicated than drinking there's chewing digesting involved there's the preparation of the food cutting it up right drinking is so easy to do but what do you have to be thirsty okay i i don't get it what are you talking about this is this a, a parallel passage to matthew 5 in the beatitudes where jesus says blessed are the poor in spirit. The ones who know spiritually, they're bankrupt, and they're crying out to God. Blessed, listen, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for money, power, fame, sex, good looks, muscles, cars. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is the person who's tried everything, and they've realized the thirst of their soul is to the point where they're crying out, going, I know only you can satisfy this thirst. More money, more sex, more power, more PhDs, it's not doing it. The God-shaped vacuum, remember Blaise Pascal said, inside every human being, there's a God-shaped hole, a vacuum, and you can shove stuff in there, and nothing works until you get to Jesus Christ, and relinquish control of your life to him. It's the person that wants God so bad, like the deer pants after the water, so my soul pants after thee, Psalm 42. The poor in spirit. Uh, Jesus, well, first God the Father, Isaiah 55. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy milk and wine. With money, without money and without cost, and delight yourself in abundance. It's the thirsty one, the one who's not looking for salvation or fulfillment in anything on this planet. The problem with our generation is we are the most, I believe, distracted generation that has ever, ever lived. Right? We're the most distracted generation. TV, movies, all of that stuff. It's hard to put all of that out of your mind, spend quiet time with God and say, you are the one that fulfills me, that satisfies my thirst. Jesus claimed to be the water of life that satisfies thirst. Let's go there really quickly. John 7. How fast can you turn there? I'm, I'm timing you. I got lucky and found it right away. John chapter seven, the gospel of John. This is a a Jewish feast and John 737. On the last day of the great and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He means spiritually, not real water. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Isn't that interesting? That when you become a Christian, not only does his water fulfill your thirst, but streams of living water, that verse says, come from you and go outward to people that are, boy, I'm really down. What's the matter? Oh, I've got a lot of stuff going on in my life. Do you know about Jesus Christ? The waters are flowing out of you into that person as you witness to them. It's a beautiful picture. By this, verse 39, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Spirit hadn't been giving, given at that point. Um, Jesus claims to be the source of that living water. But you gotta be thirsty. And so this is harder for, listen, people who are wealthy, who needs God. I got everything. People that are powerful, people that have great success in sports or whatever. All of those things are so fleeting. This isn't fleeting. It's forever. It's the greater reward. Um, Drinking and thirst are common pictures in the Bible of man's spiritual need that only he can fill. So what does a man do to get rid of thirst? He drinks right? You ever been really, really, really thirsty? Steve talked about it on Sunday, didn't he? Man, there's nothing like that water when you're thirsty. Um, Go back to that verse again. Uh, Notice that uh, to the thirsty, I will give water without cost. Salvation is a free gift in Christianity. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. It's counterintuitive. We want to earn it. We want to do something and have God say, okay, now because you did that, I'll give you this. Jesus says, no, just come to me, admit you're a sinner, you're thirsty, and receive my, son, uh, receive my salvation. Verse 7. Those who are overcomers or victorious, depending on your translation, will inherit, listen, all this. And I will be their God, and they will be my what? Kids, children. There's a family relationship. So now it's not just the head guy, the king guy. It's dad. It's papa. It's father. But before that, those who are victorious, those who are overcomers, if you will. Um, this is a same word, basically. The Bible talks about those who overcome uh, are uh, we overcome by our faith? First John five four and five talks about that. Um, I love the way he puts it here. To those who are vic- those who are victorious will what earn this? What does it say? Inherit. Inherit is a word that implies the receiving of goods that you did not work for. Right? If you find out, you know, I just heard. Um, I'm an attorney, uh, Mr. Harkenreiter, and you have a distant uncle you barely know, and he was worth $100 million, and he left everything to you. Jeff's thinking, I did nothing for this. Inheritance, as opposed to earning it. I I like the way it's put. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God. They will be my children. What an intimate relationship. You say, well, you're mixing metaphors. I thought we were his bride. Now we're his kids. We're his sheep. All of the above each thing speaks to a different aspect. Child speaks to obedience and inferiority. They're smaller. They're not as wise. We'll never be as wise as God. We will see him as he is. We'll, he, we'll know him as we're fully known, the Bible says, but he'll always be God and you and I will not be God. Now, negatively in verse eight, he's going to talk about who ain't there. And yes, that's a word if you come from the south. Um, by the way, All of this is the fruition of the prayer that's been prayed by you and me and thousands and millions of others for thousands of years. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Hopefully those words, those three words, thy kingdom come should have different meaning for you right now. This is his kingdom. I'm reading this going, no death, no mourning, no pain. Live forever. Come Lord Jesus, the sooner the better, right? Right? Awesome. Um, There's no sinners in this world. Uh, Pretty amazing. Uh, Let's see. By the way, Romans 8 says an interesting thing about this inheritance thing, though. Oh, there's a catch, kind of, that the heirs share in the glory and the, wait for it, suffering. But our suffering is momentary compared to eternity, right? Translation. It's all worth it. Okay, so who's not there, Joe? Verse 8. Big long list. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. But are they dying there? Or are they still alive? They're still alive. Where their worm does not die weeping ongoing in the tense, weeping and gnashing of teeth ongoing. How important is it for you to witness to your unsaved friends and relatives? It's important. Let's go through the list. Cowards, cowardly. You mean people that are just naturally a little timid? No. This is all in a spiritual, religious, Christian context. These are the people that said, you know, I believe in Jesus. And then they came around with the machine guns and the mark of the beast and said, well, you're going to take the mark, aren't you? And the guy went, yeah, of course. I'll take it right here. I'm afraid of what I might lose. I'm afraid of personal harm if I say, no, I'm standing up for the gospel and for Jesus Christ. That's what he means by cowardly, not naturally timid. If you're ashamed of me, Jesus says, I'll be ashamed of you when I come into my father's kingdom. Okay, cowardly. Um, there, this person's afraid of losing life or property. Uh, the vile, King James, I think, has. The polluted or the abominable, some translation have. The unbelieving and the vile. Unbelieving is pretty self-explanatory. Those that didn't believe. The vile, this is a word for uh, polluted is really what it means. All morally unclean people. Um, The murderers, those who commit murder. Okay. Now, as we're reading this list, I got to say this. This does not mean the guy that slipped once and did one of these things. This is an ongoing pattern of, habitually of their life these things categorize them if you golfed one time in 1971 you're not a golfer okay if you lied once in 1992 that's a sin but i wouldn't categorize you as a liar the idea is perpetual habitual sin the murderers keep in mind you say well i'm okay on that one Listen, Jesus said, if you say to your brother, you fool, you're as guilty, because it starts here. The sexually immoral, um, next one on the list there. Um, Some translations have fornicators. Um, Remember that there's two, um, well, there's more than that, but the two main sins sexually are... um, Adultery, which is being married to person A and having sex with someone that's not person A, somebody else. You with me? It's pretty simple. Okay, what's fornication? Not being married and having sex with person A, B, C, D, whoever you, you say. Okay, Okay, so it's the actual act. No, because as a man thinketh, so is he. Jesus talks about it, committing adultery, and he says if you've even looked at a woman to lust for her, you've already committed the act. So it's here, so pornography is okay. No, it's the same thing, right? The seed of the sin is the same, the sexually immoral. immoral. Those who practice sorcery, magic arts. What's that? You know this one, right? It's the Greek word pharmakia. Sounds like pharmacy, like drugs. It, It involved magic arts, which included Drugs and potions, all the occult stuff, all of that. Um, and uh, let's see, the idolaters, those who have idols other than they worship something other than God. Could it be greedy people? Yes, money. Uh, Colossians talks about greed being a form of idolatry. It's certainly everybody that took the mark on their hand of their forehead for the Antichrist, they were worshiping him. They had idols. But you'd be surprised that the largest, the biggest two idols in the world are money. That's number two. One, self. Me first. That's an idol. You're making yourself an idol, putting yourself ahead of God. Thy will be done, not my will be done. Um, Okay, we're still on the list, aren't we? Um, And all liars. Wow. Keep in mind, as 1 Corinthians says, and such were some of you. There are three or four other lists in the New Testament of people that won't be in heaven. Similar to this, a little different. The point is, if we're honest, we look at some of these things and go, "Ah, I did do drugs. I lied before. I've done this. I've done that. We're as guilty as anybody else, but we're forgiven because of Jesus Christ. When someone asks you in the new heaven and the new earth, in the new Jerusalem, why are you here? and they won't because they'll know. You can say it's ridiculous, isn't it? I'm the last person that should be here. I don't deserve to be here. I'm here because of Jesus Christ. I owe him everything. Everything. And that's true right now, isn't it? Um these people, one commentator wrote, these people aren't lost because they do these things. They do these things because they're in a lost state. It's their default mode of behavior. Um, We already talked about that. Uh, Let's see. They will be, all those people will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. You say, wait, 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 wait. New heavens, new earth. Everything's been recreated. Except that. Here it is. After the thousand years, The new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem has come down as a bride. Next week, we'll see it. But the lake of burning sulfur, hell, is in some way still in existence. You mean like outer space, like a black hole? It's certainly not at the center of the earth because the earth is melted, right? Some dimension that they're in where they said, no, keep me as far away from God as I can be. That's where they are. Do I know where that is on the GPS coordinates? No. But am I sure it exists? Absolutely. We're going to quit there at verse 8. We almost got enough done, so we have to do more, and Joe's going to talk a lot faster next week. Anyway, thank you for being here. Make sure you say hello to someone you don't know before you leave, and I'm going to close with prayer. Those of you on Zoom, God bless you. Thank you for being here. Wish I could see you in person. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time we could be in your word. We owe you and Jesus everything. Everything. This is unbelievable. And I believe it with all my heart. We're going to see it, and it's going to be even better than it was described tonight. I did a poor job, but we'll see it, and we'll marvel, and you'll wipe away every tear, and there'll be no death or mourning or crying or pain. A perfect existence with you, and you have put all the enemies that our faith ever had under the feet of your son, Jesus, the devil's in hell at that time forever, as is the antichrist, as are all unbelievers. Lord, the time may be short. Give us a desire both for your word, help us to stay thirsty for your word and thirsty for prayer, for fellowship with you. Heaven will be a place of great worship. Help us to be thirsty to worship you. But also give us a desire to spread the news about this situation that is touching our loved ones, some of them, friends, neighbors, family members, and to preach boldly and with respect and gentleness to those who don't know you, God. Thank you for these truths. Thank you for this travel brochure. We'll see way more next week, God. Can't wait. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for every blessing. We pray these things would help us have a new set of priorities and values and assess things differently in our lives. We love you, Father, and we can't wait to see you. In the meantime, use us for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Say hello to someone you don't know. Don't forget, it's very important. God bless all of you on Zoom. See you soon.